Welcome to 2021. We got here, right? It's a good day. It feels like we've all broken through the tape in a race that none of us wanted to run, right? But we did it. We're here. I want to welcome those of you who may be joining us online or at one of our campuses. So glad that we can all be together in, in one place virtually, even if it can't be physically. So we're still one family and grateful for that in 2021. Let me start this morning with a quick story about our daughter, Emma. When she was about eight months old, she was beginning to discover that newfound freedom that comes with crawling. Anybody remember that? To be fair, for Emma, it was more like dragging. She was dragging her body across the floor. She, she hadn't quite figured out the crawling yet, but she could drag her body almost anywhere she needed to. And so we, with, with Emma, like we had gone through the phases of rolling over, sitting up, us feeding her, her beginning to feed herself, and mealtime was definitely Emma's most favorite time. It was game on whenever it was mealtime, particularly when we said the blessing, because she knew that after the word amen, she was about to get something to eat. So she was all in at mealtime. This is what it looked like at any given meal for Emma. Mouth open, I'm ready, just keep it coming. Emma was all, she, she was that kind of person, like she was just ready for mealtime all the time. But when Emma was crawling, she would just kind of drag her body around the house like I told you. I really should have thought about this. I should have attached those Swiffer pads to her body. She could have cleaned the entire floor for us. But when she was crawling, we kind of had to keep an eye on her. And one day, Dana and I were sitting in the, in the living room, just kind of doing something, I don't remember what, and uh, we heard this noise, and it wasn't that loud, scary noise that you panic when you hear as parents, but it was kind of this just persistent slapping, you know? And so we, uh, it, we looked at Matthew. Whenever you hear a noise as parents, you're thinking like, okay, we get, you have to account for children. Where are they? Is anybody hurt? What have they gotten into? I could see Matthew, who was about four at the time, in his playroom. He was just kind of standing there playing at his training table. Wasn't him, so I got up, walked over to the playroom, didn't see Emma in the playroom, so she had dragged herself out of there. And, as, and so I walked out of there, kind of around the stairs, which were blocked off, by the way, nobody freak out. And so I got around the stairs and I peeked into the kitchen, and there she was, laying at the base of the refrigerator, slapping it with her hand, going, amen, amen, amen. She was ready to eat, and I thought it was hilarious. So this was the scene of the crime. She thought it was hilarious after I started laughing and it kind of became a regular thing. She would drag herself into the kitchen, slap the fridge and say, amen. She didn't know what a refrigerator was. She didn't know how it worked, but she knew that there was food in it. And she knew that after the word amen, she got to eat something. So if she was willing to work hard enough, she could get what she wanted. She's still the very, very much the same person today. But for Emma, she knew that she could have something good if she was just willing to go get it. She could have something good if she was willing to go get it. And I share that story with you today because there's a connection here for us. There are some things that we can have in our lives if we are willing to go get them. Now let me explain what I mean with a sermon that was preached about 3,400 years ago, about 1,400 years before Jesus even. It was a sermon written by Moses in what became a collection of his sermons that we now know as the book of Deuteronomy. And I know that the book of Deuteronomy can be one of the more intimidating books of the Bible, but really all it was is a collection of sermons that Moses wrote 
to help the Israelite people understand two things. One, who God was. And two, who they were. Who God was and who they were. They were. That was the whole point of Deuteronomy. Now the sermon, this particular one, begins in chapter five, where Moses gives the Israelites one more time the 10 commandments that he had given them before. But then he wrote something in chapter six that would become maybe the most famous thing he ever wrote. It was called the Shema, which in Hebrew is a word, it's the word hear or listen. It became a blessing or prayer for the Jewish people that they would pray often. And the Shema, in Hebrew, it means listen or hear, but you have to deconstruct every Hebrew word because it's far more pictorial than our English language. And the picture that you get if you deconstruct this word is let it in. Let it in. If you break it apart, that's what it means literally. And so what Moses was telling the Israelite people is I want you to let this in you. I want you to let it get inside of you and affect every part of you. And so I wanna, to give you an idea, before I do this, to give you an idea of how important this was, the Shema became a prayer that the Hebrew people would pray every morning and every night. And in some cases, Jewish people still do this today. That's how important these few verses in chapter six are. I wanna read it for you. And and like Moses, I wanna encourage you, let it in you. Let it get in there and do some things that it may need to do that we could live into the life God's calling us to live. So here's the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. And and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frame of your houses and on your gates. It's really quite beautiful, isn't it? It's a beautiful prayer that we have here in Deuteronomy 6 that would, would become treasured by the Hebrew people. But one important thing to recognize about this passage, I've told you what, the, what Shema means, listen or hear. What's interesting is there's no other word in the Hebrew language for the word obey. If you see the word obey in the Old Testament, you're generally seeing the word Shema or some slight variation of it. And so what Moses is calling the people to do here is not simply to listen or to hear something. He's calling them to obey. He's calling them to surrender to it. Because in Hebrew, listening included the responsibility to obey. In Hebrew, listening and doing were basically two sides of the same coin. And so this is important for us today because if we're gonna understand what we have here, then we have to understand the context in which it was given to us. So here's what I'm gonna do today. I'm going to use Moses' sermon in Deuteronomy from chapter six to about chapter eight, I won't go through all of it, to show you what 2021 is going to look like for all of us. Basically, I'm gonna tell your future. You're welcome. This would have been really helpful back in 2020, right? So I'm not gonna do it in the way you might expect. I'm not gonna use some weird deck of cards. I'm not gonna look at the stars and consult them. I think all that stuff is hokum anyway. I'm not even gonna use one of these guys. Anybody remember this? The magic eight ball? You ask it a question, shake it up, and it gives you one of about eight different answers. Highly technological stuff. 
If you don't know what this is, it just means you're very young. And your version of the Magic 8-Ball is called Siri. You just ask your phone, and she tells you whatever you want to know. So let's see if it still works, all right? Magic 8-Ball, are we going to have a great sermon today? Who's laughing? Why would that? That's not supposed to be. Too soon to tell. I was never really a fan of the Magic 8-Ball. But in all seriousness, I am going to use Moses' sermon from the book of Deuteronomy to help us all know what we should expect in 2021. So here's the first thing. The first thing that we can expect in 2021 is that there will be blessing in this new year. There will be blessing in this new year. Anybody thankful for that? How do I know? How can I be so sure The reason is because it's in God's nature to bless us. God is good, and for that reason alone, blessing naturally flows from him. Even the blessing that might come to us as discipline or correction is still good for us. We see it all over the pages of scripture. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Psalm 43 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And it's even here in Deuteronomy. Moses reminded the people that when they were in the desert, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. And then he went on to tell them, for the Lord is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines, and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. It was like the whole foods of the desert. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. All of this pointed to God's goodness. And the idea carries over into the New Testament as well. Jesus said in one of his most famous messages that we know as the Beatitudes in chapter seven of Matthew, which of you... When your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who seek him? We simply cannot read the pages of scripture and not come to the conclusion that God is good and goodness flows out of him as naturally as heat comes off of a fire, or light comes off of the sun. It's just who he is. And for that reason, there will be blessing in 2021. But let me take it a step further. Let me push it a little bit. I know that some of you may react strongly to this, so I'll I'll explain what I mean. But the measure of blessing that we experience in 2021 depends largely on us. It depends largely on us. Now, before you panic and you think I'm starting to promote some kind of prosperity gospel, let me explain what I mean. Prosperity gospel would tell you that if you have enough faith or if you give enough money, then you can expect to receive financial blessing or physical health or healing. I just don't see that in the pages of scripture. I don't see it. But what I do see very clearly in the pages of scripture is that blessing comes from obedience and surrender. Augustine understood this. He knew this. He said that man is most satisfied when God is most glorified. In those moments when we surrender to God completely 
and choose to glorify him, we find that we're blessed in the deepest places of our heart, that there is blessing in obedience and surrender. There's a clear connection between this, between blessing and obedience in scripture. It's even here, right here in our text. Deuteronomy chapter six says, hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. Now that's a Hebrew phrase that Moses used a lot, but it is littered throughout the Old Testament. A few verses later, do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you. You beginning to see the connection? The Lord commands us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper. The idea ripples throughout the Old Testament and it continues in the New Testament. In fact, the verses we looked at a minute ago where Jesus asks a group of people, who is gonna give their child a stone when he asks for bread or a snake when he asks for fish? If you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does God know how to give good gifts to his kids? The verses that immediately precede those verses, it's a passage that you'll be familiar with. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now why? Why would Jesus tell us to so persistently pursue God's blessing if God were not willing to give it to us? But here's where this really comes into focus. Look back at what Moses said to the people in Deuteronomy 8, the Whole Foods passage. For the Lord is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat, barley, vines, and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Every good thing in that passage was simply there. God put it there for us to enjoy, except for one thing. There's one exception in that passage. Look at verse 10. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Now the copper was there. God put it there, but it was within the rocks. And Israel could only have that blessing if they were willing to go dig it out. This is really important for us because it means that there is spiritual blessing, spiritual treasure that we can have if we are willing to go get it. The spiritual blessing of Peace, hope, joy, wisdom, and on and on and on can be ours if we are willing to go dig it up. God's goodness is all around us. It's here, it's now. The question for us is, are we willing to ask for it? Are we willing to seek it? Are we willing to knock down the door? Are we willing to dig it up? These are not things that you do one time and then you just step back and wait for God to do his thing. These are things that we must do persistently in our lives. A.W. Tozer said this, the man who would truly know God intimately must give him time. Time is expensive. 
time in his word, time in prayer, time with his people, time in worship. And when we pursue God in these ways, we quickly discover that he is the thing we wanted all along. So what are some practical ways that you can do this in 2021? I'll give you an idea. You hear us talking about them all the time, but let me frame it like this to you. Give us three months. Give us the first three months of this year and do the things that you hear us talking about all the time. Join the inside track. It's only four weeks. It'll give you a great landscape of what's available at the church and it'll help us get to know you and what you're looking for. Join a small group. Find a group of people who are also interested in digging up the spiritual treasure God has for us. Join the dream team. Find a place where you can serve, where you can put someone else's interests above your own. That's always good for us. And if you do these things for three months and you feel like your life wasn't positively impacted, then come find me. I will personally help you find your next step or find your campus pastor. They will be happy to do the same. And one way you could kickstart this whole process is to join us for what we're gonna do starting on January 11th. Every year we do 21 days of prayer and fasting at the beginning of a year. And so January 11th, we will kick that off across all of our campuses. It might look different, so ask your campus pastor what it's gonna look like at your respective campus. But in our buildings or online, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m., we will be together as one church. We will will have uh, some time of worship, a brief word of encouragement, and then some prayer. A great way for us to collectively come together and begin digging up the blessing that God has for us. Goodness of God is here. It's all here right now all around us. And God's inviting us to take hold of it. So let's use 2021 to go dig it up. Now, what's the next thing we can expect in 2021? There will be challenges in this new year. Just like there are gonna be blessings in this new year, there are gonna be challenges in this new year. If we look at the book of Deuteronomy, we're reminded of God's goodness, but we're also reminded that Israel spent 40 years in a desert. The word desert in Hebrew is often the same word as wilderness. It was a difficult place, a land of thorns and thirst, a place that was untamed and uninhabitable. Conditions were extreme. Water was scarce. There were wild animals and dangerous people. Bottom line, we weren't made to live in the desert. In fact, quite the opposite is true. If you look at Genesis chapter two, we were made to live in a garden. Verse eight, chapter two. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. Now the garden was lush. The garden had everything man needed. It was a a place where man could thrive. Very different from the desert where man could only hope to survive. The garden was a place where man could flourish. Adam and Eve were made for the garden. You and I, we were made for the garden, but like Adam and Eve, we lost sight of what we were made for when we chose to do life our way instead of God's way causing us to wander out into a desert wilderness. A wilderness where we face challenges and scarcity. A wilderness where we must literally fight against dying. And maybe that, maybe that 
the fight against dying is part of our problem. I know that sounds weird, so let me explain it. I'll jump to the New Testament for a second, where we find some other people who were fighting against dying. You may know the story about a man named Lazarus. He was a friend of Jesus. He had become sick, dangerously sick, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, were also friends of Jesus. So they sent word to him, asking him to come and heal their brother Lazarus. Well, after several days, Jesus did come, but Lazarus had already passed away. And when he arrived, Martha met him and she was frustrated and grieving. And she said to him, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, seeing how hurt she was, said, your brother will rise again. She kind of sensed where he was going. And she said, yes, I, I know. We will see each other again at the resurrection. And then Jesus totally flipped the script. And he said, I and the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And then he called Lazarus out of his tomb and this dead man was raised to life again. It's a beautiful passage that says a ton about who we are and a ton about who God is. But here's the thing that I want us to see today. There is something about living that has to involve dying. And that's not a bad thing. There is something about living that should involve dying. In the desert, we find ourselves fighting against dying, afraid of dying, but maybe there are parts of us that need to die. Maybe there are some things that just need to go so that we can be free to live the life we were made for. I believe there are things in all of our lives that needs to die. I believe our guilt needs to die. Our fear needs to die. Our selfishness needs to die. Our anger needs to die. Our addictions, they need to die. If we are going to live into the freedom Jesus died to bring us, then there are some things in our lives that are going to have to die. And so the desert is not always a terrible place to be. If we look back at Deuteronomy, we see that Israel had been in a desert for quite a while. Moses refers to it multiple times. Chapter eight, verse two, he says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way through the wilderness these 40 years. But it was in chapter seven that he told them why they were in the desert. Verse eight, but it was because the Lord loved you that he brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. So God brought them out of Egypt where they were slaves and he sent them to the desert? Was that better? Why did he do it? Well, Moses explained it because he loved them. Let me say it to you a different way. Because God loved them, he brought his people out of slavery. And because God loved them, it was now time to bring the slavery out of his people. Now it was time to help them remember who they were, who they were made to be, and the desert was what God was going to use to do it. The desert was what God used to put to death any identity that didn't align with the one God gave them. The desert and the challenges that we face in them, they're not always bad. 
because that's where some things can die. Things that prevent us from living into the freedom that was purchased for us on the cross. So similar to the people of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, God has brought us out of slavery. And now he's using the deserts we walk through today to bring the slavery out of us. That we might live into the freedom we were made for. Now, let me tell you the third thing that we can expect from 2021. We can expect blessings. We can expect challenges. And we should expect that some of our biggest blessings are going to come from some of our greatest challenges. In 2021, some of us may find ourselves in some deserts, facing some challenging situations that we don't necessarily wanna face. But God is going to use those deserts to bring about something new in our lives. The prophet Isaiah understood this. He was sent to Israel with a hard message a message of judgment because Israel was not living the way that we're supposed to, the way God had called them to live. So it was a hard message that he had to take to, to Israel. But he was also sent to Israel with a message of hope about a time when Jesus would return again, a time when even the deserts themselves would be transformed. In chapter 35, he talks about this. He says that when Jesus returns, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Did you catch that? When God returns, even the deserts will bloom. But until that time, he's going to use the deserts to make us bloom. Now let me get personal with you for a moment. And this has not gone well in the last couple of services for me. If you were to try to tell me that this third point weren't true, I would not believe you. God does bring some of our biggest blessings out of some of our greatest challenges. I know it to be true because I've experienced it in my own life. Most of you know that Dana and I have two kids. Matthew, who's 23, and Emma, who's 18. We had them when we were very young. And they're amazing kids, like truly amazing kids. I wanna say they're better than your kids, but it seems unkind. <laughs> but they truly are amazing kids. I say that humbly because I, Dana and I are not perfect parents, but we have amazing children. They're kind, they're hardworking, they're considerate. They're just really, truly amazing people. I'm honored to be a part of their life. Emma's in her first year of college and Matthew just finished college and now he works and lives up in DC and doing the adult thing quite well. He's doing great. This is always where it gets hard. But honestly, Matt's been on a tough journey. Obviously, he grew up in a Christian home with Christian parents. He even went to Christian school for a long time. But when he was in high school, as he got older, he attended a high school that was for very academically minded people, kids who were super smart, super driven. And in that regard, he fit right in to the environment. But this was also an environment that was very antagonistic towards his faith. 
it's just a, it was a difficult place for him to continue following God. I think in this environment, faith felt like foolishness. And so his faith really got shaken when he was about 15 years old, and he hasn't really recovered from that. Now, I've, I've internalized it a hundred different ways. What did I do wrong? What should I have done more of? What did he need more of? I've asked all the questions. I've kind of beat myself up about it. And I remember one day a few years ago, I was uh, talking to our staff. Our entire staff from all the campuses had gotten together here at Mount Pleasant. And I started, somehow I started talking about Matthew. And I just buckled, like I fell apart. You've heard the expression ugly crying. This episode is what they would use to define ugly crying. And I, I, I just couldn't recover. And I stammered for a while and um, finally Pastor Josh Surratt recognized this might not get back on track. So he stood up and he said, hey, why don't we all pray for Adam? I was glad it was over. He encouraged the staff to stretch out a hand towards me where they were sitting and pray for me. And so I, I just bowed my head. And um, as the prayer began, I heard all this noise, the noise of chairs sliding against the hardwood floor in the chapel. The staff weren't going to just sit there and pray with a hand stretched towards me. They got up and they came towards me and they put their hands on me. All around me, they were standing. And I'm not really a, a touchy person, but I was grateful for the support. There were hands on my head, hands on my shoulders, hands on my back. I think Josh Walter's hand was right here. <laughs> it wasn't. It was over here. It's not true. And they just prayed for me. And it was such a blessing in what felt like a desert to know that while I was walking through this as a dad, I wasn't gonna have to do it alone, that there was a family who was willing to stand with me. There are people on our staff who still text me today, people who are not on our staff who still text me today, who were there that day, and just ask, how's Matthew? They're still praying for him. After a couple of minutes of praying, someone's hand landed right here on my chest. And it kind of startled me because I was comfortable with all the other hands, but this one felt like a little much. And I thought maybe I could open my eyes and like, you know, do some nonverbal communication like, hey, I feel weird about this. Maybe you should. And as I opened my eyes, it was Dana who had randomly had randomly left her office to just come by the church. She knew it was all staff, but she didn't know I'd be speaking. She didn't know I'd be sharing about Matthew. Certainly didn't know that I would have fallen to pieces and the whole staff would be praying for me, but now she's here. They've got their hands on her and they're praying for us as a family, all of us. Such a blessing in what felt like a desert. Fast forward about a year later, and I was sharing 
how Matthew was doing with one of my friends, Horace. And you need to know that Horace is one of my heroes. He's, he's about 80 years old. He's one of the original members of Seacoast. He has served faithfully as a chaplain in our community for years and years. His wife passed away several years ago, but he still looks for ways to make a difference in the lives of others. Horace is just an amazing guy. I hope I, I will be like Horace when I grow up. And so he asked how Matt was doing and we talked and he said, I'm gonna pray for you. And it, it wasn't one of those corny like, hey, I'm gonna pray for you. I could tell that he meant it. And later on, he gave me this picture that's in his car. That's a picture of a piece of tape on his rearview mirror. He sees that every time he gets in his car and he prays for my kids. Incidentally, one uh, day a few months ago, Horace asked me and Dana to come pray for him about something. And while he likes me, he really likes Dana, which is true of most people who meet us as a couple. And uh, so we prayed for him. And, and then we left the chapel as we were walking out. He said um, in his beautiful Southern accent, hey, Adam, you need to know that I'll be taking your wife to dinner soon and you're welcome to join us if you'd like. <laughs> it's his way of saying I'm taking your wife out on a date. <laughs> He's the only man I'll let say that to me. And let me give you one more. Almost a year ago to the date, I pulled our entire Mount Pleasant staff together for a time of, of prayer and worship um, as we started the new year. And while we were singing, I, I found myself kind of praying and wrestling with God. And, you know, for everyone else, maybe it was prayer and worship. For me, it was kind of a combination of prayer and worship and fighting and crying out and all the things. And, uh, and I remember just feeling frustrated, like, God, I'm so ready. I'm so ready for him to know how much you love him. For him to recognize who he was made to be. So as I'm praying, I just glanced up for a moment. And I saw this in front of me, on the chair in front of me. I don't know if you can see that, but it's, it's the letters... M-A-T-T, -T, the name Matt. Somebody had probably gotten bored at one of our Christmas Eve services and just etched it in the back of the chair with a Christmas candle. But as I saw the name, I heard God saying to me, hey, trust me. His name is forever before me. His name is written in my house. So like I said, some of our biggest blessings this year are gonna come from some of the greatest challenges we face. In those moments when you feel like you're in nothing but a desert, there are going to be blessings that come. I know it to be true on a personal level and I'm confident that if it has been true for me, 
and it can be true for you too. Let me pray for you. Father, we are grateful for your goodness that it is unrelenting, unstoppable, that it just comes off of you naturally because you are so good. And we trust that in seasons this year when we find ourselves facing challenges, walking through the wilderness, that you intend to bring blessing from that. We believe, God, that there is no desert that doesn't have a purpose. So we pray that you'll use them to do whatever needs to be done in us, that we might live into the freedom and abundant life you died to bring us. In Jesus' name, amen.